Welcome to all our listeners. Uh, welcome to join our podcast, Leading Energy. Uh, I'm Nina Carlson, and hosting this episode with me is Heli Bachman. Hello, everybody. And we have a very special guest today starting our season two. We have uh, Ginger Lapid Bogda, PhD. Uh, she is an Enneagram author, teacher, keynote speaker. She has been training us in, in courses. Uh, she is a well-experienced organizational developer, consultant, and she has written several Enneagram books. You might uh, know already what type of leader are you that's in, included in, in a lot of our work as, as well. Uh, we welcome you, Ginger, uh, to our podcast. Warm welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, you have a huge experience, and the listeners might be curious. You, you are internationally known. Uh, in, in how many countries? How long have you done this work? How would you describe your journey? Well, it's been an, um, one that I couldn't predict in advance. It's been an interesting journey because in 2004, um, when my first Enneagram book got published called um, Bring Out the Best in Yourself at Work, it was my first book also. So I didn't know how it would be received. I knew that I'd done my best and um, I rather liked it, you know, and I kept working on it, but it came rather also fluidly. And to my delight and surprise, and so a little bit shock, it was extremely well received. And uh, it was one of the earlier books in the Enneagram in the business applications, but it, there were some that preceded me. Um, but this one, my book was like really about not only what the Enneagram is, but how to use it in the variety of Enneagram applications in organizational settings. So I don't mean just for profit business. It's also just anytime there's a human system where people are organizing together to do something and they meet, you know, or greet or convene over time. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And so, okay, you know, it's about, you know, conflict, dealing with conflict and dealing with teams and um, leadership and, you know, giving feedback and, all kinds of things like that. So, and that was the beginning. So it's, it took me um, to many places in the world, um, both uh, just because the book was translated there and I then was traveling to do like programs and speeches and things like that. But I liked to travel anyway, or at least I did at the time. I traveled so much since I took away my passion <laughs> to travel because I've been to too many hotels and um, mm -hmm. But anyway, so that was kind of the beginning. And, you know, I just have let it sort of emerge more and like a river, uh, sort of going where I'm supposed to go. Mm -hmm. And and 2004, uh, if I remember right, Enneagram in the Business Network was also established by the time. No, no that was in 2009. 2009. And, I, and I know you're two senior members of the network. And how that occurred was... I started teaching like different um, certification programs. Um, one based on my first book, Bring Out the Best in Yourself at Work. Another based on the leadership book, What Type of Leader Are You? Are you um, that shows how the nine different Enneagram types can be 
develop increasing competencies in a variety of um, competency areas. And, um, and, and also bring the best in every new coach. So what happened for me was I was training so many people how to use the Enneagram organizations, not just, I do direct work with clients, but I'm talking about people like you, professionals. And people were asking me like, how can my mentor me? Um, how can I work with you? I mean, it was just, I was, it was like, I was getting a little bit overwhelmed and like you, Nina, I'm a two. So on one hand, I wanted to do that for everybody. On the other hand, it was like, I, I had trouble saying no, but I couldn't do it all. Mm -hmm. Right. And I wasn't sure what to sort. I know Helen, you're an eight. So it probably would have been a little easier on you (laughs) in your inner world. Um, But so then I had to come up with some way to help develop the people that I'd already trained in a way, because that's, so that was a couple years in the making. And I remember being in Hong Kong right before some programs I was going to do when I'm sitting in a hotel overlooking, you know, everything overlooks the city, right? But um, like, and all of a sudden hit me, it's a, it's a network. It's a development network where there's seniors and associates. So I mentor the seniors, associates are mentored by the seniors. Everybody has to sort of have responsibilities in the ante. And so it's basically a development network. And that's, that's how I got, that's out of need, mm-hmm. but I've been happy with it. And, uh, you know, so, so anyway. Happy also with, with the network and, and being seniors there. And we have met wonderful people and professionals. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, things. Um, then, then you have, uh, like mentioned, the, what type of a leader are you? Leadership and leader self-awareness in that journey. And we have, in, in our work, we have noticed that it's, it's crucial that leaders uh, do their own inner journey. As mm-hmm. well, uh, when, how, how do you see this world? Why is it so important for leaders to develop themselves? Well, here's where I may give you, I'm going to give you a double answer to this, okay? So when I wrote, right before I wrote my leadership book, I um, was curious about models of leadership that were pride and true. And I was, you know, I've been in leadership development field for a long time before I even got into the Enneagram. So it wasn't like I was new to this. And I've been a leader myself, right? So I'm like, oh my God, you know, there's so many leadership books out on this and then. So I started looking at all this and I'm like, my God, there's thousands. There's more books on leadership, I think, in the uh, field that in the behavioral sciences mm-hmm. than there is on any other topic. So I wrote to a colleague of mine, Warner Burke, who um, had written a lot of books on leadership. And I'm like, why? He'd written several. And he wrote me back and he said, because nobody really knows what leadership is. Mm-hmm. This is 2007. Mm-hmm. So you get all these different books. Like leadership is this. You know, leadership is information processing systems. If you go to Jay Galbraith, you know, I even went back historically where, you know, it was like one time it was asked your sign, your astrological sign, and then it was an alchemic thing. And then it was, you know, rational. This, it, you know, it's like you can trace the history of trends in terms of how people, what they thought leadership was. But it, nothing stuck. All right. Are leaders decision-making, processing people? Are they, what are leaders? Mm-hmm. You know, and having been a leader myself, it's like, oh, situational leadership, that's something. But, you know, if that's sort of based on the maturity of the, the people who work for you, whatever that means, right, and the experience, I suppose. 
and also what the nature of the work is. And so there's that, right? And you can just still see that. So um, when I kept thought, oh, well, the Enneagram can be helpful here because um, I'll focus it on competency, leadership competencies, leadership enhancing their abilities, their competence, right? And so now let's get to your question about self, self-aware. Did you say self-mastery? Self-mastery, self-awareness, yeah. Okay, so I can get very, um, I can parse these concepts, which I do in my mind. I don't talk about them that much because, you know, I can, like, why is she even thinking about that? But for me, self-awareness is only the beginning. I have a self-mastery model in my book, and it starts with self-awareness. But I think, and I think you would agree, you can be self-aware but not be very self-mastering. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I don't think you can be self-mastering without being self-aware. Yes. No, you can't. That's you see what I'm saying? Yes. So a lot of these uh, self-awareness sort of tools that are used or methods that are used to help leaders increase their self-awareness, they don't go far enough. Because if I can, I'm aware that I yell at somebody. I mean, I don't do that. I don't, I'm not a yeller. <laughs> Maybe I'd be better off if I were, but... I'm, you know, Liam might say, I'm aware that I raise my voice to people sometimes. But are you really self-mastering about that? Do you have choice about that? Do you realize you can push pause about that? Do you realize that there are other avenues that you could pursue besides that? And do you have, do you recognize the somatic signs? Or say you're a leader that just retracts Mm -hmm. when things get tough, Right. And so do you recognize that's not really that useful as a for it might be good for you to kind of um, get, you know, charge of yourself, but does that, you still have employees and a system, you know, how good is that over, yeah, five minutes, 10 minutes, but what happens in the next half hour? So then can you recognize the signs that you're about to retract? Cause I don't want to just use yelling example because I'm using two different streams, but Mm-hmm. Very what about the somatic signs? What about the emotional? You know, how can you manage that? That's self-awareness. And then how do you, what, what choices do you have? And, and how many do you give yourself? And are you willing to avail yourself? Because some people say, well, I do, I am aware and I can do this and that. Do you ever do anything different? Mm-hmm. Or do you do the same old thing and then think that you're self-aware and self-mastering when you're in fact not? So so there's that. And then I'll parse it one more way for you. Suppose, I'll put it to you. Suppose you had a, this is fun. So you're both very smart women or people or, you know, professionals. Suppose you had a client who was so high self-mastering, but they didn't, they weren't, they didn't have leadership skills. Is it self-mastery enough? If, if one is a leader, then the first thing is to have self-awareness and self-mastery. That's really, really crucial. And right. on that, you can build skills. Right. This is my answer. Yeah. What do you think, Nina? Uh, goes hand in hand with that. You need to have some kind of a skill in order to apply for a leader or, or kind of take the job. But that's that's not enough. And, and the self self-awareness where it starts and then self-mastery, then building, like Heli said, then building skills and, and competencies. 
Yeah. So, so I agree with you. And I think self-mastery without leadership skills and experience, what would skills and experience go together? Mm, yeah. Because you can have experience, but no skills, right? But yeah. You can have skills, but you, those would need to be not just school, you know, what I learned, but practice. So I think one person, a person, a leader could have some leadership skills with not much self-mastery, but they'll only go so far. Mm-hmm. And, or some organizational systems protect leaders who don't have much more than that, right? That's mm-hmm. not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in this day and age, especially now we were, you know, with COVID and the shifting landscapes that we're in and the uncertainties about what's really going to happen uh, with virtual and in person and the future of organizations and, you know, we won't even talk about the politics that are now influencing all of this too. Um, what's that going to mean for our leaders of the future? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the amount of, you know, I was just mentioning the protection that some, if an organization is highly structured, it protects leaders. It sort of goes, you can only do this. You can't do this. Mm-hmm. And they start functioning within those boundaries. But if there's more um, need to be flexible, to be more in a emergence kind of, because that's, I think we're in emergence in our organizations in a lot of ways. And leaders have to be able to be in emergence within the boundaries of what's okay, you know, um, and what they can do. But that's going to put task us as leaders more than ever. We don't know what we don't know. And most of us know we don't know what we don't know. So now, so I think it creates a different uh, kind of sort of demand or expectation for leaders in terms of being flexible and fluid, but self-mastering, because you can be fluid and flexible, but not be self-mastering too. See, there are certain, certain types are more flexible and fluid and enneagram types, but that doesn't mean they're higher self-mastery. Yes. So, you know, it's like, so as not to confuse, and I'm also parsing this a little bit, but I'm trying to make a case that these are interdependent, but, you know, separate things. Yes. In my view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very and what, good. This is also what we see in our own uh, program for leaders. Uh, that we, we talk about, or overall, overall, we talk about self-awareness, how important it is to have self-awareness and even self-mastery. But it's difficult to understand what it means before you actually start to grow, growing your self-awareness. So in our program, when, when they realize what types they are and, and what that means in, in terms of motivation and energy and so on, then it's like something happens. They actually take a huge leap in mm-hmm. in on this journey to towards self-mastery mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but without the enneagram uh, i don't think it would happen that that way right i agree with you or that deep or that i wouldn't say fast but fast <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it increases the speed by which this can happen and it kind of, um, it's sustainable way also. Mm-hmm. Right. A sustainable way. It's not one time you get to know your type and you do things, but it kind of follows you. It's, it's, it sticks with you. And, and, and in your programs and, and, and trainings, 
there are many people from different countries, from different cultures, from, and of course, different personality uh, types. So, so you, you grow not only your self-awareness, but actually social awareness in a way. And the same happens in our own program, not, not from different countries, mm. but different organizations. And what, what would you say about that? What you have seen over the years when you work with several people from different backgrounds, different types, why is it so special? Well, that's a provocative question. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember in 2004, my very first organizational client from my new, my first book was Food for the Hungry which is a Christian-based organization that's sort of like a Peace Corps that does work all around the world, right? And so the person who contacted me liked my book a lot. And he said, well, I don't know if you're Christian or not, and I'm not, but that's irrelevant, really. He didn't care either. (laughs) It was pretty funny. Um, But will you work with us? It's like, sure, right? So I went off to Thailand where the program was being held with people about 40 or 50 people from all over the world who were like working with food for the hungry. And I took my son who was 10, I think 10 or 11 at the time, you know, we thought that'd be fun to go to Thailand. He's dragging his books with him so he can do his homework and, you know, the teacher said, but I remember the reason I remember this so distinctly was he was having dinner with us all every night and he was stunned to meet people from all over the world who were that captivated to be leaders and to use the Enneagram. But what was especially fascinating was the type threes. Because I remember we were having dinner, my son's a three and here he is 11 years old. And I think there was somebody from Cambodia, a man from Australia and somebody from another country and all three, and there's my son, very different ages, all different races, different cultures. And they were talking the same language, I mean, even the English was the common denominator because everybody spoke English to be there, but that wasn't necessarily their native. But the amount of uh, similarity was, I mean, it's still, str- I can still see them, right? It's like, doesn't matter. It's like underneath the, um, the gender, underneath the race, underneath the culture, underneath the whatever, the class and socioeconomic, you see the fundamentals of type. And if you don't get, to, if I don't get distracted by external things, but the Enneagram has never been about the external, mm-hmm. right? It's about the, the, the drives, the motivations, the thought patterns, the feeling patterns, then the behavioral patterns, which tend to show up more in the subtypes with some consistency or persistence, but still even within type behaviors. And so it's like that, it's like struck me. It's, it's never left me. And I already knew the Enneagram, you know, I, to write a book and to write that book. And, you know, and Russ Husson once said, I thought he was funny. He said, your book is smarter than you are for a couple of years. If you write a book, <laughs> and then you catch up with your book. <laughs> I think that's true. I mean, you know, because you're writing through what you kind of know, but you don't know. And then you have to like a puzzle and all that. But that particular thing, dinner, the food for the hungry, struck me, you know, so when I work with the Enneagram, I'm always s- sorting what's underneath, not what's on top. What's, mm-hmm. It's not what's visible, it's what's next layered. And that's the part that we help people with. So is it so then that 
if a leader understands the Enneagram and understand his or her type and also about the other types, how, is it so that it's easier for, for him or her to lead because you understand so much about the types? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm supposed to say yes, and my answer is maybe. Tell mm -hmm. us more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, tell us more. Well, I think that it's the level of integrity you have with it, with the system and the capacity you have for processing what you're learning because I have seen a few and I won't work with them very long, trust me on this, but I've seen some leaders who they're smart, they, they learn the system, but they're not really using it for their own growth. They're using it so they can sort of get the people who work for them to do certain things. I wouldn't even say it's, it could be like to manipulate those people because you understand what drives them, but it doesn't even have to be that, right? It's like, is this person on a self-mastery growth journey where they work the leader constantly, you know, or are they using it just as a transactional kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Then I think that, you know, and this gets into self-mastery. For me, part of what the Enneagram can do, whether you're a leader or not, but I think with leaders, it's, it can, you can, it helps open compassion for people who are not like you. Mm -hmm. And even for you, people like you, right? It's like really understanding what's they, underneath and what's there and how you're structured and what might be easy for one, for you is not easy for another and get that, right? So, but if your heart isn't open, see that's, you can understand through your mind, but if your heart isn't open to that compassion, and if your body can't, somatic structure isn't open enough to hold and receive this, because you were talking earlier about sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. To sustain this, um, then it's not, you know? So I think it's like, mm -hmm. my experience, I, I would guess you have this too. I've had sometimes been into companies where the people were really into it, the employees and other managers, but if the leader isn't really into it, isn't, sort of not just modeling the way but paving the way and and um, being in you know aligned with the values of what the Enneagram is and growth and supporting people's development and all that then um, it won't sustain itself people will in the system other different people in the organization will take it with them and it'll do really great things for them but I think the leader, it's, it's really about how much are they working on their own development and growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and definitely we have seen the same. It's about the integration level or the self-mastery yeah. of the leader. So it actually goes back to these that it is so that the leaders are the role models, no matter how much the leadership paradigms are shifting from uh -huh. hierarchical yeah. systems to self management and so on. It all boils down to the self-mastery of, of the leader, at least what we've seen. Yeah. Well, I mean, you may have more experience in Finland. Sometimes you're more advanced than we are here in certain ways. And I, I mean, seriously, I'm not, not uh, I'm just saying that gratuitously. I, but it, with self-managing systems and stuff and self-managing teams and systems and all that, mm -hmm. we've been around for a long time and and they're new, and I and I it's also they have a new take on an old way and all that. And the leader still has an important role in them. 
Yes. It's like, so it's like, there's always, you know, to, to think, well, everybody's a leader. And so there's no leader. I mean, is that like the headless horseman, right? Or something. There is always somebody who supports the purpose or it's the vision is available as things need. And that person does model the way. Mm-hmm. And then we have seen that the nature of leadership uh, might be different. You might be more coaching type of a leader, right. supporting uh, self-managing right. self teams. And so, so it, it, that might be the shift needed there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Good. Uh, what, what else? Uh, we, we always talk about this integrity and the ethical use of Enneagram, but also we underline a lot that it's, it's not the system you need to uh, learn and, and get into. It's more like how to use it and how to apply it. Uh, we have now applied it, for example, into negotiation skills. You have uh, a lot of applications and and excellent, excellent tools. Uh, mm -hmm. What would be your tips around those applications and uh, for, for the leaders that listen, how to take Enneagram into the different contexts? Okay. <laughs> no, I think it's actually, I, I think of it in two different ways though. Mm-hmm. So my first way, which is kind of like my organizational consulting hat. Yeah. Way, yeah. Is find the application that's going to provide service to your organization. That's going to fit what you, your organization needs to do a lot or to do better or to do in some way. Right. Because then you can actually integrate, I believe, the Enneagram with just about any application, mm -hmm. whether it's organizational or not, right? It's like, you know, I could go on and on about non-organizational applications, and you can. So, yeah. so if you find that spot where you can integrate the Enneagrams and learnings, insights with the application that's going to, at the moment, most fit the needs of your organization – a, you're going to make a great contribution to the organization. It really justifies bringing it in. People have to learn the system and their types to be able to use it that way. That's a great thing. Instead of just bringing the system in for its own sake, bring it in an application, and people also get to see it in action. So then that makes it really more real, and they start to realize how important it is. And in one of my clients, and you, it's in the benchmark study that we did in 2011, said it's the only system where people bring it home regularly. And I see that all the time. When I work with clients, they are always bringing it to their home families. They want to figure out their kids, their partners, their parents, their whatever, right? It's, it's, you've seen that. So it's really cool. It really spreads it. So it's the application integration. Um, now, the second thing that I'd say is, so there's kind of two, kind of two ways I think to do it, the integrations. One way is the enneagram. If you have people know the system, you just make it simple for people. Well, I don't like this one as much, but it's like I like simple. But suppose it's like um, you want to help people 
Oh, no, give me a top. Well, anyway. Okay, I say negotiations. So, so negotiations. So you might, people know their type and you work with them and they figure out if when they're on one end, what do they, if, you know, look for in negotiations? What matters to them? What doesn't matter to them? What's, you know, that's kind of like using people real time. They know themselves. They share that. They get that. Then they, okay. So that's fine. That's simple. I, the thing that's a little more refined is, there's a, if there's a negotiations model that's simple, mm -hmm. it helps define certain aspects of the negotiation relationships or what's looking. And then you work with those, then you get much more refined application and I think much more traction with them. Mm, and you have developed very many of these, haven't you? Uh, oh, or, or I've used good ones that are already out there. I don't have a great need to... Um, to create a, if there's a really good model of something and I can use it and it's not proprietary or I give credit, which is mm -hmm. most, really what people generally want, you mm -hmm. know, so I, you write a book and there's a, you've got a good model in it and the book has a copyright, you know, yeah, generally, the, you know, it's out in the public zone. So you write the author and you say, I like this model. Can I use it? Mm -hmm. Or this way, I'm going to give you this credit. I mean, that's kind of what's done. The author can say yes or no, but they often say yes, because why would you write the book in the first place to, you mm. know, just keep it to yourself or not. But yeah. So if there's a really good model out there, why not? If there isn't one, because sometimes models are good, but they're too complicated to run the nine types through. Mm -hmm. Or it's much more advanced. It's like, you know, many, many tiered down. So, you know, a simple, but really accurate enough, true and useful model, true enough describes something in reality that work that is true and is it useful it helps you do something better than you you know run the types through it then that's where you get i think the more higher impact integrations mm. and this is this is what we've done uh, for instance with the negotiation also you know our company name is energy coating so what, what we also do we help leaders to create clarity focus and also lead energy mm -hmm. so, We've done the same thing with, with right. model and, and the Enneagram. So the oh. Enneagram as such is not um, so big of a thing. It's, it's, it's wrong to say this, but in, in, in the organizational world, it's really important to have both. Mm -hmm. Right. It isn't that important and it is very important. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, right. and it's, it's, it's uh, interesting when you say that this is a tool or system they bring home, we, we see that so often. Yeah, the people, kind of invisible people, come into the room when we talk about the types and, and, and really people really get advanced in, in all kinds of relationships. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and going even back um, uh, when the social awareness that people often ask okay uh, is is this person uh, six or nine or what we say it doesn't matter it matters that you reflect your own uh, motivations and behaviors and adjust mm -hmm. and and not go blindly with the automatic automation mm -hmm. automated patterns. patterns so it's it's important and and all these integrations um, 
it would be nice to give some leadership tips to our listeners. Uh, uh, do you have some things in mind that would benefit the leaders that are listening to this? Uh, we have come a lot of uh, journey here in, in the discussion, but what could be the tips we could give to the listeners? So when you think about that, Nina, are you wanting me to think about it in terms of the nine types or to go across the types? It, I kind of want to go across the types and not yeah, do the nine. Yeah, yeah. But if you want me to do the nine. Yeah, it could be nine types or across the types, whatever uh, feels feels useful. Yeah. yeah. So what just kept struck me is what I wanted to say was, is about being able to access each of your three centers of intelligence. They had center, mm -hmm. the heart center and the body. Yeah. or somatic center, and to be able to utilize each center in productive as opposed to unproductive ways. So getting fuller access, being able to understand your the, the sort of uses and misuses, so you're using the most productive ways, and then getting your three centers aligned so that the three, you're not just like operating from the head and secondarily from the heart and the body, or not just from the body or gut, and secondarily from the heart, right? So three centers. Um, now, the, where the and so that's what I would do. Um, and there's so many practices you can do with that. It's like amazing. The Enneagram can show, and it'll help you make better decisions. So you're not making them just from one center or two, but all three, the advisors. The Enneagram, for me, I, sometimes when I teach the Enneagram, I say this, the point of teaching the Enneagram isn't to know your type. So why am I here? Mm. Well, it's the point of it is, is to understand your patterns of the mental center, your patterns of the heart center, and the patterns in your body center, and to work to increasing your access to the productive uses of each center to align them. But the Enneagram type can show you how you tend to use and misuse and not use very much each of the centers. It's a map for that. And if you are in three-centered, you know, presence, or you're in presence, the more you can access each center in their mind. That's what presence is. You could also, so that's what leaders really maybe want in themselves. Anyway, but we get so stressed as leaders, so it's easy to get out of that. We call it being centered, but I think it's, you can almost see it, you know, head, heart, and body on top of one another. But this, being centered is not the same as being present, because you can be centered, but See, I'm parsing again. Mm. But it's like, for me, I think of being present, you have to be centered to be present. But there's a receptive strength in presence that isn't necessarily there in being centered. Uh, this is an advanced class, somehow yes. I feel. Uh, is there, so for, for listeners, could you do an example for like, like, like a seven leader is seven leaders are listening and they try to grab what you just said. How would you explain it to them for sevens? Okay. Well, um, I would say as a seven, you're probably used to being in your head center most of the time. And you're aware that your head is thinking about a lot of different things almost simultaneously. So what you have learned, if you've been working with that is to, 
Try to find ways to still the mind. Good. Now, try you try to still your mind using the mind. Alone? Uh-uh. That's a long journey. <laughs> like sometimes I say this, and this isn't always true, but the, the type, the, the center that created the situation that you want to shift or change often can't be the center that's, that can change it because mm. it's kind of the source. So, but you've got two other centers, right? So in the head center, seven, mind's always thinking about a million things. Okay. So use the mind. You can't center the mind and focus the mind from the mind alone, but the heart and the body, Okay. Now, the sevens have been so reliant on their head that they often, um, as partly as a way to sort of move away from the heart center because they don't want to feel pain, sorrow, and fear, which starts a little below the heart. But they're all emotions, right? So, okay. So is the way to sort of work with the mind to get both centered and more present in the mind so you were, you know, through the heart? Well, sort of. But if the mind is used to move away from the feeling structure, is that going to work? <laughs> well, that's a little tough also. And you've got a third center, the body. Wow. Because the body is more than just the body, right? It holds the heart center and it holds the head center. and it's kind of, So what about the body center? Oh, because a lot of times sevens have vacated to some degree large parts of their body so they can keep moving around and the heads they're doing things and the heart okay so body presence feeling your body a journey inward into the somatic center that holds the heart and the mind can often be the way to not only get greater access to each of the other two centers but also to create more presence more fullness not just being in centered in the that you can access each of those three centers, but it's also in a larger sense, feeling present. And this also involves, see, I think presence also involves being in experiencing oneself as part of a greater, of the environment as well. It's an inward experience, but you feel yourself as part of something outside yourself as well. See, centeredness, I think, is a little bit more, feel it inside, but you may not, be connected mm. in a fluid way to the external. Mm -hmm. It's kind of both. So I think, did I answer your question? Yes, I think it's a great, it's for, for people who don't really may, maybe understand so well mm -hmm. the centers, it's, it's a great example. Yeah. And it, it really uh, uh, brings into my mind energy also, kind mm -hmm. of uh, uh, leading your energy when your mind is spinning around and getting new ideas and all that and getting the presence you kind of lead your energy your personal energy also around you and you get your message through better you get make better decisions you when when you are this is this was a good example i think really yeah we we are uh almost uh, used our, our time. Uh, is there anything either of you would like to add in or uh, close up or summarize about our uh, discussion? Anything? Well, I think, Ginger, you just did it when you summarized with the centers somehow. But also 
self-mastery is something that I will carry with me after this discussion even more than before. Mm. What about you, Ginger? I just had a good time talking with you both. So mm. <laughs> You're so lovely. And I sit here in, you know, self-isolate, in isolation most of the time, except for these sorts of things. So, you know, maybe it even, I even feel more joy, but it's really nice to be in touch with both of you in this way. And, and for our listeners, we, we thank you. And we would lo- also like to point out that if you want to learn more about Ginger and her, and her, her work, uh, the Enneagram in, in business.com lead you there. Uh, there's a lot of material uh, to learn learn more about this this topic. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Peter. It's good to see you also. Thank we, you so much. We see you actually also here, so it's good. Yes, feels good. And yeah. take care. You, yes, you too.